everyone. I am Eliza Kelly, the host of Stars Like Us, and I am so thrilled to introduce you to a very dear friend of mine. You may know her as the author of On Her Knees, the YouTuber, God is Gray, also podcaster, just in general, social media queen. Um, <laughs> she is a Gemini sun with a Taurus moon and a Virgo rising. We love that mercurial energy. <laughs> this is my dear friend, Brenda Davies. It is so nice to connect with you. I'm so happy to be here. I adore you. I miss you. I adore you and miss you too. And I'm so <laughs> proud of you. I am so proud of how what you have created and uh, the messaging of God is Gray and how you have just really found your voice, I feel like, in this platform. And the truth is, for all of our listeners, is that this is actually our second approach or our second time approaching a recording for Stars Like Us. We did a very long, very beautiful, organic, I would think it would be, have been like a two-hour episode, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, what feels like a million years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess it was two years ago. Wow. And yeah, because it was it was before Stars Like Us came out. So it was kind of – I was trying to still figure out like what the content was going to be, what the format was going to be. And I was also figuring out how technology worked. <laughs> and it is two hours of inaudible recordings <laughs> is, what, is what happened. Two-hour hang sesh thinking yeah. we're talking to people and we're talking to no one. <laughs> talking to no one. It is all super scratchy and just like – completely unsalvageable tracks where we just got we're super sloppy with our mics we were like holding them banging them around our faces <laughs> <laughs> acting like we were in a porn like just ridiculous behavior <laughs> i will say that i very successfully recorded audio on that same day and i have a beautiful episode with you that still stands on the god is great podcast and i've gotten a lot of great feedback about that as well yeah so really interesting yeah <laughs> yeah it is it is like like the lost footage of our first conversation. Um, but yes, I mean, the the episode that we have on your podcast very much still upholds and mm -hmm. is I definitely encourage everyone to check out and listen to. But two years later, since our original recording, a lot has changed. You are a mom now and you weren't then <laughs> um, to a Sagittarius babe. And you have an incredible, I mean, you've amassed an amazing following and with good reason because, you know, a lot of people are trying to figure out how to reconcile dealing with their religious upbringings, dealing with their current spirituality, dealing with their families and navigating that. Um, I've heard from a lot of different people has been really challenging and a lot of people have been talking about your work and how meaningful it is. And I'm just so I'm I'm like such a proud mom. <laughs> and <laughs> I feel so grateful to have known you prior to this and then have watched you develop this. And it's I like to say tank. There are no coincidences. It's totally tank that you started this before 2020 mm. because building a platform prior to this time, I think was just obviously an amazing amazing thing to kick off because so many people against the backdrop of 2020 are really trying to figure out these very complicated topics. So I'd love for our listeners to get to know you more, how God is Gray came to be. And yeah, what a day in the life of Brenda Davies looks like. What does it feel like to be a Gemini son? <laughs> what does it feel like? Yeah, just for anyone that doesn't know, um, I describe my platform by saying I'm a sex positive, LGBTQ plus affirming, science believing Christian. 
So like today, for example, I'm putting out an episode called Are You Really Pro-Life about capital punishment? Because I see so much dissonance in the things that Christians, evangelicals, Baptists, etc. will put out into the world versus their behavior. And there's been this mass exodus away from church. And it's really not a surprise because I think as more and more people come into moments of 2020, these moments of clarity and the courageousness that's been like emboldened in people to actually seek truth for themselves, they're realizing that, you know, a lot of these things that we were raised in not only don't make sense when you break them apart, but they're actually antithetical to Christ's message. You know, the whole Trumpism thing that happened in evangelicalism, I'm not going to say anything political on this podcast because I don't want to chase anyone away, but it was a confusing. Oh, no, no, no. They're, they're, <laughs> okay. If anyone is like listening and I, so I got a review, a one star review. Somebody took the time to actually do that. And it's like podcast was great until the thing you said about Trump. And it was like, which fucking one? Like, <laughs> how far did you get in the podcast? Because you must have clearly gotten like 10 minutes in before I started just to talk about how horrific this administration is. <laughs> OK, well, there you go. Good I riddance. know where your audience stands then. But even then, like, you know, I think it was confusing on both sides because some people people that were ended up loving him, whatever, no matter where you stood, I think it really showed 2020 vision, the cracks in our faith practice and how it doesn't really align with who I believe we're meant to be as people. So I started really talking about what is called purity culture and modesty culture, breaking down a lot of the really harmful, toxic theology we were taught about our bodies, our sexuality whether or not we're born with this concept of original sin and the propensity to always do the wrong thing and, you know, the, quote, perversity of being homosexual, all of these things I intuitively knew were antithetical to Christ's message. Like, I came to peace with affirming LGBTQ people probably 10 years ago, which actually was a journey because I was raised in church at 12 years old. I went to an evangelical church where they told me all my gay friends were going to go to hell. They told me uh, God cries when I masturbate. So I, you know, breaking down these concepts had been a journey of my own independence for like 10 years. And that includes going on what I call a trampage where I just completely let go of all sexual ethic and just did whatever I want. Our mutual bestie, Emily Mead, is very familiar with my trampage phase. She was there for a lot of it as was Eliza uh, as well. But I figured these things out on my own. And then when I was like on YouTube, I started seeing other Christian girls that were just perpetuating the same toxic messages that had hurt me so deeply. And I just decided to pick up a camera and share with people this deconstruction, this prodigal son journey I went on, you know, for those 10 years. And it has included like so much research, so much theological understanding, and that's been a beautiful journey because you can theologically, intellectually, and spiritually disprove toxic theology because at the end of the day, I really do believe that God is good and God is love. Apologies if anyone is hearing my loud baby and his toys in the background. <laughs> But yeah, at the end of the day, I believe truth stands on its own. And the truth is that God is love 
And we are supposed to live in that spirit of love. So yeah, the God is Great channel invites people to do that and then invites them to break down the toxic theology and replace it with something that is truly authentic to you. And I'm so proud to say the platform is incredibly diverse. I've got witches up in there. I've got atheists. I've got Christians. I've got Buddhists and Muslims and It's been just really incredible to see it grow and to see all of these people unite. And a lot of people will like attack me and be like, because her audience is diverse, because witches love her content, then that means she's like antichrist. But uh, that's not that way at all. I think people are really fascinated to see religion and to see it broken apart in that way because it hurts a lot of us. And I think one example that I give all the time is that Britney Spears was drugged through the mud for maybe having sex with Justin Timberlake. So to me, that shows that even though these concepts of holding your virginity as precious, et cetera, actually extended into secular culture to the point that a lot of us have been affected by it. Yeah, I I um, really appreciate with your content how much context you also offer and how much history, how much interpretation, how much research. And there's sort of like an academic approach that you take to these things, which is a very hard marriage. (laughs) I guess pun intended there is like (laughs) the marriage of science and faith and upbringing and then, you know, individual philosophy and figuring out how to reconcile all of those is shouldn't be so challenging. And maybe this is really your Gemini sun at its finest, but it the way that you synthesize all of those makes it such a no-brainer. Mm. And I think that one of the, you know, it's it's kind of wild that to have your platform and to sort of qualify it, you have to say, you know, I am pro-sex, sex positive, LGBTQ positive, <laughs> science positive, and Christian, because it really shouldn't be You shouldn't have to have those many qualifiers in order to say, I'm Christian. Right. But the way that I suppose so much of the culture of faith, at least in the United States, has evolved has been with those as – I guess that those are still very much not associated with the mainstream practice of Christianity. And when we think about sort of Christianity within the greater society here, what we reconcile. So how do you fuse these different – concepts and topics. And with, for instance, you know, thinking about the death penalty and saying, are you really pro-life? How do you approach and tackle something like that? How, how do you know when you're going to science or when you're going to religion? The incredible thing is that when you start weaving it together in research, none of these things are mutually exclusive. Like science to me illuminates the majesty of God. For example, So many Christians have this persecution complex, especially in the coronavirus conspiracy theories, where it's like, oh, you won't let us worship at church because society is anti-Christian and we're under attack and our faith is, you know, we need to fight for it. And that is blatant stupidity, even though I have a lot of compassion and heart for people that maybe do get sucked into misinformation. I still am calling people to be media literate, to do way more research before just accepting things as fact. And in this case, I'm like, okay, if we as Christians stopped 
negating the truth of science and started seeing it as God speaking to us, divinity sending us messages, we would see that the coronavirus, for example, is a blatant call from God interwoven with Mother Nature which is in the Bible referred to as Elohim, like the spirit. Like in Genesis, when God talks about creating the earth, it has masculine pronouns with God, but it also has this feminine pronoun, which I really like think so much of these things are semantics. In Christianity, I would say that's Elohim, that's spirit. And then maybe in paganism or other faith practices, you might say it's just mother nature. And I think we're talking about the same thing. So in this case, Someone disrespected Mother Nature. They have these wet markets where all these animals are being cruelly abused, not taken care of. They're disease-ridden, and they're being killed in violent, terrible ways. Then someone ingested it, and it infected the entire world. To me, that is God saying, hello, you are not honoring the earth. Like Genesis, again, God says to be good stewards of the earth. We know we have been piss poor, horrible stewards of the earth, and Christians are some of the worst culprits of it because we've taken up this arrogance, especially in American capitalism, that we deserve things, that we actually are not stewards of the earth, that we are the owners of the earth, and we get to do with it what we want. So when Trump opens up oil drilling in this sacred land um, in the Arctic, well, we have every right to do that because this is America and it's ours. And it's like, no, it's not. And science, coronavirus specifically, I feel has come to show us 2020 vision. Hello, before this earth completely goes into despair where we cannot turn around, which arguably a lot of scientists say we're already there, unfortunately. Like this was the most gentle wake up call. I feel like Elohim, Mother Nature in this process said, you all go sit in your rooms and think about what you did. And in- absolutely. <laughs> and instead of doing that, Christians are like, again, you know, earplugs. We don't believe in science. We won't affirm that. This is our persecution complex. And it, again, shows so much damage or whatever. So all of that said, picking apart these concepts with all of those things fused together, which, like I said, are theology, intellect, and spirit, and then having this message that all infuses together. And, you know, in this case, it's just so clearly woven. And I also kind of see myself as like a football player or something where I know every play in my opponent's book. I do not see conservatives or evangelicals as my enemy, but they can be opponents to good progression in society. They are opponents to LGBTQ rights. They can be transphobic and homophobic and misogynistic. So they have been opponents, vocal opponents of really good things in our society. So like, I know everything they're going to say to me because I've heard it all a million times. I know every one of the plays in their book. And the reason I think so many of them have a playbook is because they're not sitting down to actually think about what's being said. They're just regurgitating what Pastor Scott said to them in 2013, and they're just running around in those circles. So again, like my channel says, okay, we can run around these circles or we can take your playbook, pull it apart and offer a new conclusion to that because this isn't working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So- I, one of the things that I remember we talked about two years ago was how to deal with trolls on the internet. <laughs> yeah. And I would imagine that you have a 
somewhat different answer now two years later than you did when we first talked about it in the Forgotten Files. Um, (laughs) Because what I've noticed is that you are combative as fuck. And I love it. I love to see it. But you are, at least from what I can gauge, very shameless in being like, in calling out bullshit. And you flag things that are totally inappropriate. And you say, here is this person with this massive platform who's saying these like, absolutely ludicrous things. And this is why it's irresponsible. This is why we need to look at it from a different perspective. You know, I think that that is very brave. I mean, it's really brave to participate in the rhetoric like that because undoubtedly you're going to get a lot of DMs that are probably very scary and intimidating. So, you know, what is your relationship with like calling shit out and how has that shaped God is Gray? And because I think when we first talked you are maybe about to have sort of like your first battle with some YouTube person. Mm. There was some sort of contentious like each were like calling each other out or something, but it was like at the very beginning of that. So I'm really curious as to how that has shaped your process. Well, it's been incredible because <laughs> I learned something in musical theater. I'm a musical theater nerd. I was I did not know that. <laughs> See, that is that is new information. <laughs> yes, I was. But one privilege that I got to learn in that experience is I noticed that when I was the lead in the show, because I was always the lead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a l- loud booming voice and it worked. But um, I noticed that if I was in a crappy mood and walked around and, like, stomped around the stage and wasn't in a good mood, everyone's attitude would sort of follow. And I was like, oh, this is funny because I'm not a teacher. I'm not a leader. But they are looking to me to figure out how to behave. And I started messing with it in high school. And I was determined to really bring a great energy and make everybody happy and make everybody feel, like, uplifted. So I kind of really noticed how much someone – I guess in a natural leadership position ends up being looked at and people end up following that North Star. So when I very first started God is Gray, I was getting so many hateful comments and people were treating each other like garbage in the comment section. And I made a video called Sup Haters and I was like, I don't care what you say. These are the 20 insults I know you're going to give me. You you have no effect on me. Why don't you actually say something valuable instead of the same old regurgitated bullshit? <laughs> I said it better than that. And it was incredible because ever since then, there was a complete shift. And just like I'd noticed in musical theater days, everybody really followed that. And then ever since then, leading up to like – Yesterday, I've seen people be like, Brenda said we have to be kind to each other and they'll engage in really good conversations with each other. And it's been beautiful because I don't even have to say anything anymore. I just sit back and watch people engage with each other in these really healthy, beautiful ways generally. And I'm so proud of my community for that. Another thing is that I have vacillated between like, is it cruel to call people out? I actually had a friend in my life refer to me as a bully and wow, it kind of like got me in my feelings for a second. And I was like, oh no, because I have thought about that. Like at the end of the day, when I call somebody out, I know they are a real person on the other end of it and they are experiencing something as a result of my action. And I did have a reckoning with that, but ultimately these messages are so profoundly toxic. I mean, we're talking about rape culture. 
Um, like I called out this pastor named Mike Todd that's purveying rape culture all over again without realizing it. And it's like, I'm not sorry for calling you out on that. If someone is anti-LGBTQ, I am not sorry for calling you out on that because this leads to so many terrible things in real time, in real people's lives. And these people are primarily going unchecked. There's this church called Bethel that is just a disaster. And I felt very called to call them out. Like this one guy, Sean Foyt, (sighs) is going around on a nationwide tour right now doing maskless concerts, calling it a super spreader event for Jesus Christ. Shut the fuck up. He's calling it like Jesus Christ. (laughs) That is absolutely ludicrous. Aliza, I'm like trying not to bang my head against a wall. This kid drives me freaking insane. But, you know, I look at pictures of mental or like healthcare providers and them having to comfort people that are dying without their loved ones because they have this virus. And this arrogant idiot is going around America saying we are being persecuted as Christians. It's like, dude, sit down, take care of people. Like there's no greater call than Jesus healing the sick and bringing forth broken people and making them better. This guy is actively spreading the opposite. And of course, that also brings up so much privilege because so many of us in America, myself included, don't have health care. So even the fact that he's some rich, affluent kid that's going around being like, oh, we don't have to worry about this. God's going to protect us. It's like, cool, dude, easy for you to say, I bet you can afford to go to the doctor. And a lot of us can't. So (laughs) all of that said, it's just like, Yes, I have thought about what it truly means to be in that position, but I also have come to complete peace with it because I do know what I'm doing and I do understand the gravity of of no one saying anything, which has been happening for decades. Yeah, and I think that that is really important to um to reconcile something that I have that we've talked about on this podcast before is just so many generations of people saying it's not my responsibility. Mm. You know, so many people, so many generations of like, well, I didn't own slaves, so it's not my problem. Well, I didn't do this, so it's not my problem. Fast forward to 2020, and of course, we have like, you know, the coronavirus. Oh, it's a China virus, not my problem. Mm. So to me, it's like that. It's like we have to create boundaries, you know, and we have to, as a collective, come up with shared ethical codes of what is and isn't acceptable that can transcend politics, that can transcend religion, but are just like good human to human behavior and create sort of and emphasize that as sort of like the codes of conduct, you know, because we can't just keep throwing up our hands and saying, not my problem, not my problem. At some point, someone needs to take responsibility and say like, no, this is our problem. This is a big problem. And if we don't fix this, then it's going to keep happening and getting worse. You know, it's going to escalate. So I think that it's really important to call things out. Obviously, cancel culture as a concept is complicated, but to call out people who have large platforms who are putting people's lives at danger, whether it is directly or indirectly, I think is is absolutely where, you know, that's the kind of ethos that I think we need going into 2021. Astrologically, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. And I also want to clarify, too, I'm never out to cancel anyone, which 
If people want to cancel people, fine. That's up to you. But being a Christian, I believe in redemption. I believe in repentance. So with all of those truths on the table, I'm always saying this is a call to do better. This is an opportunity to look at all the garbage in your life that I've drawn into the light and decide whether or not you think it's appropriate still because no one else is asking. And so often they just block or in one case, I'm actually getting sued for defamation right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which I kind of like could have seen coming. I absolutely by no stretch of the imagination believe that is warranted or deserved or appropriate. But at the same time, I'm like, yes, this is the Christian persecution complex. You called us out. So now we have to defend ourselves. And it's like, no, you could just humbly sit down and listen as you're called to do and see if there's something that needs to change. Wow. Wow. I mean, but it doesn't sound like they would have a case at all because defamation needs to say untrue things. Yeah. And you also have to have malicious intent, which I literally never have. I truly don't. And like I said, when my friend called me a bully, I had a really good reckoning in myself to make sure that I actually stand by what I'm doing. And and I came out of that being like, no, this is right. <laughs> yeah. No, I I hope that that gets resolved very quickly because there is no defamation if you're calling attention to the things that they actually said, you know? Mm -hmm. That is not what defamation is. There's no lawsuit. But it it makes total sense that it would be something, you know, in the spirit of this privilege and this exceptionalism Mm -hmm. and this victimization, which is very much of, you know, it's impossible to really talk about 2020 without realizing that everything is so linked to white supremacy. In the past several months, my mind has just totally cracked open in realizing how exclusionary everything is, you know, and how everything is pro-life until we're actually dealing with a human life, you know, and everything is about, you know, how much I have been sort of victimized until it's very clear that you're the one who's in the position of privilege. And now it's time for you to like hand up hand over what you have and you're like, oh, absolutely not. I'm not sharing this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so much of, you know, there was someone shared with me this, I think it was at like Johns Hopkins, this correlation between privilege and Uh anti-mask. And it was like people who are in, you know, it's the people who are anti-mask are people who have by and large have not faced true oppression or discrimination, you know, um, on a day-to-day basis. So now this little piece of paper that we wear on our faces is like, I can't breathe. And it's like, actually, if you want to talk about people not being able to breathe, you know, we have to talk about how black people have been treated in this country for the past 400 years. You know, yeah, we have to talk about it. No, the reckoning between my faith and the roots of white supremacy and Christianity has been um, mind blowing. And also when we talk about the term woke, there's this dissenting group of people in the evangelical space that are making fun of myself, progressive Christianity, and saying, oh, they're just woke Christians. They're trying to like fit into society. They're trying to pretend there's problems. We're all supposed to be reconciled to Christ together. Race doesn't matter. And it's just like the concept of woke, like that, that word can be so annoying. You know, social justice warrior stuff can be so annoying. Like I'm from Philly. I have my cynicism too. (laughs) 
But woke just means you woke up. You were once asleep and you woke up. And for me, I'm like, I was sleeping when I was taught in textbooks that Christopher Columbus was a hero. I was asleep when I was in New Jersey watching news from Philly, being taught about all this black and black crime and being presented it in a way that's like, oh, well, that's their choice. They're choosing to live this lifestyle and they deserve to be in prison. Like, I was asleep when I believed that was true. I was asleep when I believed that the police weren't actually built with the intention of retrieving slaves that have run away. It is so naive and ignorant for us to think that all these systems that were built and planted with rotted seeds are actually springing into trees that are perfectly healthy. We have to pull out these roots and be like, no, we're doing something about this. I have this amazing episode with this woman named Jo Lumen, and we talked about white supremacy in the church and decolonizing our faith. And she talked about this song. She was like, you know, I was in evangelical church and we were singing, I was once a slave to sin and now I'm free. And she was like, but that was a actual slave song from, you know, these black people that had written this song and sung it in their oppression. And I felt so betrayed by that. I was like, I was asleep as a white girl, 13 years old in my white church singing, I was a slave and now I'm free, thinking I'm talking about sin, without ever being taught that that song was given to us by black slaves. We never honored our tradition and we have not told our true history. Like so many Christians, again, will talk about if you tear down our statues, then you're robbing us of history. I'm like, excuse me, the moment that someone printed Christopher Columbus as a hero in my elementary school textbook, that was the moment someone erased history. We don't need statues. We need to know our true roots of our Christianity and of our society so we can pull that ish out and plant seeds that are actually going to spring forth life, which is a biblical principle. Right. I I really respect you so much for being able to very humbly talk about these topics and address sort of what the before and after for the way that you are moving through, you know, all of the years of your past of sort of accepting these things and being, you know, just allowing it to sort of move through you and then coming back and pulling up the roots of your own history, right? And it's like microcosm, macrocosm you doing this is proof that it can be done. Oh, yeah. And that we it could be done very gracefully and it could be done very humbly and very honestly, but it's obviously very destabilizing and very scary. So it's, you know, I think that it's it's definitely a really beautiful thing that you are displaying and exhibiting this for us so that everybody, whether or not they were raised in any sort of ideology at all, can do this and go through this process himself because we all need to be doing it. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, and it has nothing to do with hating your white skin or crawling across the floor begging for repentance for things you didn't do. It's about doing the hard work of fighting for justice in real time and just right. being honest about who we are and where we've come from. Yes. You have a book. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's such a beautiful full circle thing because I began writing this book eight years ago or something like that. And I actually began God is Gray because I was trying to find a publisher 
And they kept saying, we love this material, but there's no audience for it. And this was pre-Trump. This was pre-my channel. So like, I think people really didn't know how pervasive and fascinating the whole Christian purity culture experience is. So this story is very sex, drugs, rock and roll, and Jesus. It talks about me in a 10-year span of like moving to LA as this perfect virginal Christian and then getting a divorce, falling into this wild tramp page and sort of like swinging back around and realizing that I'd maintained my faith and my love for Jesus the entire time. And woven throughout this story, I really pick apart all of these concepts. There's chapter on drugs, sex, abortion, like all of the really complicated things. And just through my story, teaching people how to actually view these concepts and ideas from a different lens and question the way we've been taught about these things. So it's available for pre-sale now. It comes out in April. And yeah, I'm honored if anyone goes picks up a copy because I really do believe it's informative for anyone outside of the circle, especially if you love someone that has either come out of religion or is still a part of it. And then if you have like been affected by it, even in the most distant way, I really hope that it will be healing and transformative, especially in becoming a sex-positive, affirming, science-believing person in this world, no matter what your faith is. Yes. I think that every – I know that Brenda has been working on this pre God is gray. And it's so cool to when I saw that you were finally releasing it, I was so excited because I also know that you are an extraordinary storyteller. All of our astrology buffs listening already knew that from when we introduced you as a Gemini sun with a Virgo rising <laughs> because the, that mercurial energy is so about information, um, sharing information, cultivating it, processing it. And you have the two sides of Mercury in your chart. You have the the sun, which is about sort of putting it out there. And then the rising, which is about sort of picking it apart, dissecting it and figuring out what is actually going, you know, what's actually lasting and what is important. And like, how do you drown out the noise and really emphasize the most, the kernels of wisdom? So between the the rising and the sun, it's like, we know that this is going to be the fucking book 2021 that we have we've deserved <laughs> over and over again. I know that this is going to be super successful. I'm so excited for you. Aww. You gave me chills. It's it's such a trip. It's so beautiful to see how all of these things really align like with astrology and my faith practice. Yeah. Well, you know, astrology is just another language, you know, it's just another set of tools, but astrology because it's just another set of tools, just like the Bible is a tool, just like religion is a tool, you know, it it's uh it depends on who's using it. You know, and astrologers can be real assholes. And <laughs> there is as much conspiracy rhetoric in astrology now as there is anywhere else. Wow. Yeah. And it's really problematic. <laughs> and it's, I feel like I did not know that advocating critical thinking was going to become part of my 2020 job description as an astrologer. But here we are, where it's like, yes, we need to let science and astrology live side by side. One doesn't minimize or reduce the other. You know, you could be a science loving astrologer. Wow. You're blowing my mind that we're facing the same trials. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's why I know that it's just microcosms of the macrocosm. You know, mm. these things don't live independently, they all live within this greater 
these greater narratives, these greater stories that transcend any of the the details as to like what do we identify with, where did we come from? Beautiful. Speaking of stories and you as an amazing storyteller, I cannot have you on Stars Like Us without you telling our listeners about some of your family's stories because they are, uh, one, incredible, two, eye-opening, and three, I think everyone who is listening who has an interest in the occult, in witchery, in magic, and then also in present time, in religion, in faith, in individual identity is going to be really shooketh by, <laughs> <laughs> by this tale. So I would love for you to tell the story that you know that I love so much to our mm. listeners if you're cool with that. Yeah, of course. My dad grew up in Philly, in Fishtown, and his mom had immigrated from Poland during World War I. And the interesting thing is, her father was actually killed by soldiers because she didn't want to make bread for the German soldier soldiers. So um, I guess apparently the story goes that they had this farm and this bread mill and they came in demanding that he provide bread for this army. And he said no. They took him out to his windmill and shot him. And they came back inside and my great grandmother and my grandmother were in there with her other seven children. And she spoke German to them and just said that she had just been stopping by to buy bread and they were going to leave. Like, don't worry about it. So she had to take herself and all of her children and leave absolutely everything behind and pretend that they didn't live there. Like no time to get any of their belongings, anything. So. That history is informing to the story because my grandmother had this crystal ball and on her dining room table and she would do readings and she would cast spells. And the reason she did that was because her mom coming out of World War I had taught her and her sisters how to do witchcraft because she believed it was their only retribution and their only protection against enemies. So these witchy women in my family were using this to protect themselves. Fast forward to a place where my grandmother is safe and she's in America doing her own thing. She was making a business out of it. But my dad is such a sensitive, sweet soul. And he was always in this house having all these crazy haunted experiences. Like he remembers being in the bathtub when he was a kid and playing with the mirror and kind of dancing in front of it. And the mirror reflection just sitting there staring at him in return. <laughs> or playing with what's it called? Shadow puppets on the wall and then seeing other hands come in. Oh, wow. That is so, that is so eerie. I love that. <laughs> It all sounds terrible. I definitely am going to write a book about it one day because it's such an amazing story. But um, the most fascinating thing, I think, is that because of my grandmother and this mystery around her and all the scary stories around the house and this energy and the dead people that she was maybe bringing in, I don't even really know how it works. I don't know if it's dead people, if it's energy, if it's demons or angels, but she was definitely communicating with another world and bringing that energy into the home. So I kind of saw her as this scary figure. And one time me and my ex-husband were camping and he woke me up at like 
three o'clock in the morning, dead in the middle of the woods and was like, I just had a scary dream about a little girl. And I was like, okay, can we tell this in the morning? I don't need to hear this right now. (laughs) So we go back to sleep and we're like hiking the next day. And he was like, oh, let me tell you about my dream. And I was like, cool. So he said that he had a dream that he was in this house and he described it as a really skinny house in between other skinny houses, which is funny because he was a San Diego boy. So he just didn't know what a row home was. And I was like, wait, are you talking about like a row home like in Philly? And he was like, yeah, exactly. So he described that it was like 1940s or 50s and there was uh, lace wall or lace, uh, what's it called? Curtains on the windows and stuff. And He was like, I was walking through the house and there was a woman with long black hair in front of me and I kept following her through the house and I was trying to touch her and trying to touch her hair, but she kept being out of his reach. And he ended up on the second floor of the home and they finally get towards this glass door and she slams against the door really hard, spins around. It turns into me, this like blonde girl. And I'm like, hi, babe. (laughs) And I was like, that's really creepy. You know, what does that mean? And I immediately was like, that sounds like my dad's house from childhood as he described it. And is that my grandmother? And it felt really profound because I really believed that message coming through was that her and I had the similar gifts. Uh, In Christianity, you wouldn't call it like being a psychic, you would call it being prophetic. And I really always had felt that I was a seer in that way. And me spinning around and everything turning white and bright and light felt like she had done it in so many dark ways. Like I think really a lot of the dark energy that she brought in and the scary things were because she was not being at all particular about what she was doing in her practice. And she was also popping quaaludes. So I also have a theory that she was really opening herself up and not being protective of what she was doing. And I thought the message of the dream might be, I can do the same things, but I can do them in a positive way, in a bright way. And the trippiest part is I called my dad and I was like, so I think uh, my ex or my husband at the time just had a dream about your mom. I described the dream and my dad was like, "Okay, but how did you know she had long black hair? And he was like, you've only seen pictures where she had lost her hair and it was gray. And I was like, that can't be true. But we just looked at it and like there weren't cameras around when she had her long black hair. So I'd never actually even seen her that way. I just knew that she was. So that's the story of my grandmother. I feel like she throughout my life has sort of knocked on my door a couple of times. And even in this relationship I'm in now, um, there was a moment where I was worried about the future and what was going to happen. And and she sent me a message through a Christian person that was in my life. We were praying and they were like, "Um, listen, I feel weird saying this, but I think your grandmother has a message for you. And I was like, here she comes again. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny that she's going through so many different people to get to you. I know. And I've been resisting her for so long because there's this so such a scary narrative around what she was doing. Like she at one point got really mad because someone didn't give her a proper refund for this cabin that they were staying out. And she said uh, she wanted the whole place to burn down. And according to my dad, it did burn down and the husband died in that fire. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it seemed there was a lot of darkness in the family. Her gift did go absolutely very dark at times. And I think. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very horrible and 
terrible it's it's a terrible experience to watch your dad get shot and then to not be able to really grieve that because mm-hmm. you have to flee and start over again. I know. I would I would love to talk to her. I don't even know now, but like yeah, she fascinates me and I I know she's been knocking on my door and I I'll have to pray about that because I think that's what it is. I'm like I know she she did this wrong from what I've heard or what I can conceptualize, but I wonder how to do it right because as I said in Christianity you do consider that a valid gift. It's the gift of prophecy. Hmm. Well, this is, I mean, I can hear you tell that story a million <laughs> times and every time I'm like, oh! <laughs> it's like the first time because you are such an incredible storyteller, but you also have such incredible stories to tell. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not spinning hay into gold here. It's like gold all the way through. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so where can we hear more stories from you, Brenda? Where can we follow you and participate in your community? Well, yeah, first and foremost, if you want to pick up a copy of On Her Knees, it's currently on Amazon. And that is life changing for me. The more pre-orders I get, definitely, you know, as a writer, I'm sure. Um, Otherwise, follow God is Gray on YouTube and Instagram and all the other platforms. I'm kind of not (laughs) amazing at, but that's primarily where I am. Two is good. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I have the capacity for. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. This has been so lovely. Yeah. It's so good to reconnect with you. I'll have you back on the podcast too. I'd love to talk to you about the parallels in the work that we're doing, trying to dispel this like craziness. I would love that. Okay, cool. So yeah, I will hold you to it. (laughs) Perfect.